time to make the donuts. But up to 52 varieties. The donuts. <laughs> time to make the donuts. I made the donuts. I'm the donut. You probably had to be born sometime around the 70s or before to remember that commercial. Time to make the donuts. So we're glad you're here, and that's one of mine, and I did that for Renee. That's one of mine and Renee's favorite little sayings, you know, because we're going to talk a little bit about work, as you might expect. And Renee and I, we've always worked some type of rotating shifts and uh, we both worked jobs where we had to be on calls, and I don't know, it just seems like it was easier to put one foot in front of the other. Oh, I gotta go make the donuts. Because that's life, isn't it? You know, we, we talk a lot about what this word says, and this scripture is just full of all kinds of work and how we are supposed to go about our work. And But man, sometimes our work can just be tough sometimes it's tough just to put one foot in front of the other so labor day this weekend what we're kind of celebrating it's definitely not a religious holiday but it is a time to kind of unpack unplug and and some people it's the first time they've had off had a long weekend in a while so this came from president grover anybody remember president grover anybody alive then Okay, that was back in 1894. If anybody would have raised their hand, I would have been like, oh, I don't know. So 124 years since we've been celebrating Labor Day. And it was designed to be at the end of summer. It was known as back then as the working man's holiday to kind of take a break. And more importantly, it was born out of, hey, we need to treat our people right. And it was kind of born out of the labor movement of not working people to death and let, making sure that we're treating people right and being nice to them. So we're in our third week of choices. And everything we do comes with a choice, doesn't it? So if you remember, those of us that have been here and going back to the first week, we looked at Peter. Peter had a choice to get out of that boat or not. And we know that he did, and that was the right choice. And we also know quickly he kind of forgot about his choice, took his eyes off Jesus. And we see what happens to us in life, too. The high and the low, how quick it can change. Man, he's celebrating in a miracle with Jesus, and then instantly he finds himself sinking. That was all about his choices. And then last week, we looked at what David did, and then it was David, son of Jesse, not yet King David, and he basically was given a choice. He had been anointed. He knew that at some point he was going to have all the keys to the kingdom, but he found himself way back in a cave, hiding, scared, wondering what to do next. And those of you that were here, if you weren't here, you got to go back and read 1 Samuel on your own or watch it. But we know that he took the high road choice. We saw a great example from David there. Of, he could have in an instant changed everything. But he took the high road. He made the honorable choice. So today we're going to dive a little bit into work. Bottom line is we have a choice to work, don't we? 
We, we, we have a choice to get up and go to work or we have a choice to not. Those of you that are school age, you got a choice to do your homework or not do your homework. And most time if we make a choice to not, whether it's not go to work or not do our homework or what have you or do it well, a lot of times that comes with some pretty bad consequences. And we talked about that. Choices, they have good and bad consequences. And so if we choose one way or the other, we know that we're going to have a bad choice. Now, sometimes our consequences, we didn't have a choice. Sometimes things happen and we had no control. Maybe it's a downsizing. Maybe it's a reorganization. Maybe there's a health issue. And all those we can go to God to as well. But we also know that we do have a choice to pick ourselves up by our bootstraps. That saying that also comes from that same era of the 1800s. That's kind of that spirit. I truly believe that God puts that spirit in us, that spirit to thrive, that, that spirit to go forward. And I'm going to tell you something that might surprise you. I can be lazy as the best of them. I, I can just, man, I don't want to do that. My wife is like, man, that didn't surprise me at all. I don't know what he's talking about. And, but I know if I'm choosing to be lazy, if I'm choosing not to do, get my work, I think that's kind of an innate thing in us. We're not meant to just sit around. We're not meant to not be active. We're not meant to not be out in the world doing whatever it is. But I also believe that there's a force working against us. And see, we don't talk a lot about that in society today. We don't talk a lot about that with our young people. That there's a force working against you that, hey, the devil's real. He wants to tell you that you're not good enough. He wants to tell you that your work's not going to be good enough. He wants to tell you that your work doesn't matter. I say he's wrong. And I say that that's what God puts in us. So why do we work? Well, we work to put food on the table. We work to get our schoolwork done. We work to learn. We work to put roofs over our head. And why do we do all this? It gives us hope, doesn't it? Those of us that are a little bit older and, and start down our life and, and we start working and we start looking forward to what might be next, developing that life together, it, it provides us a sense of ownership and what happens when we put our faith in Jesus? When we put our faith in Jesus, it gives us hope. We believe in what is to come, and we recognize what he has already done. That's what's been the backbone of everything we've been talking about in choices these last three weeks. And the beauty is it's not blind faith. This fate is what already happened, and this is the third week I've shared this quote with you. Faith is not knowing what God is going to do right this second. Faith is not about expecting God to send an instant miracle. Faith is knowing that he already has. See, we're going to talk a little bit about what Jesus does in his work and the amazing work that he has already completed. That is what we put our faith in. Have you ever thought about what Jesus did was actually a job? Have you ever thought that Jesus came to earth to complete a task, to do a job in his life's work, what it was? 
Do, do we ever think about Jesus like that? I mean, he was a carpenter by trade. I told you there's a lot of scripture about work, and we see the Apostle Paul was a tent maker. Many of his disciples, like John and, and James and Peter, they were fishermen. Well, Jesus was a carpenter, and he was a whole lot more. So have you ever thought about when we read the amazing things that Jesus did? It was all part of his job. And his job was to give us a purpose and a hope in him. We see this from Isaiah. And I think it's so cool when we connect all of these dots and we look at what's been done before and what's been prophesied and what's actually been fulfilled. And you'll know this, we say this scripture a lot at Christmas time. And this is Isaiah from chapter 9, starting at verse 6. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. Just stop right there for a second. Sounds a lot like work, doesn't it? We're talking about the prophecy of Jesus being born some 600 years before it actually takes place. We're talking about a baby here, and it says the government will be on his shoulders. And he will call, be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now let's stop right there again. Every one of those is work. We have people in this auditorium right now that are counselors. We have people who are fathers and mothers and know what that comes with. Prince of Peace. That's somebody who is coming to earth and he had a whole lot of work to do. His government and peace will never end. He will rule with fairness and justice from the throne of his ancestor David for all eternity. This was prophesied some 600 years before he was actually born. Is that not cool? I mean, if you really think about it, all of these old prophecies, every one of them up to this point have come true. That's part of what makes our gospel so believable. That's part of what makes it so awesome. You know, if you think about coming to save a life or lives, that's what nurses and doctors do and first responders. They spend their whole life preparing to possibly save a life. Do you know that there's some first responders go their whole life that they can never tentatively say, well, I saved that person. A nurse could go their whole career and go, well, you know, I did all that work, but I don't know that I saved a life. But that's what they spend their whole life preparing for. Is preparing for that possibility of trying to save a life. Well, the Apostle Paul tells us about Jesus. And this is our next set of slides. 1 Timothy 1. Here is a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance, meaning you can trust it, take it to the bank, and believe it fully. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. That we can say amen. Because everybody here today is a sinner. We're all sinners and we need saving. And Jesus didn't hide it either. He was pretty plain in telling those around him what his job was and what he came to do. We see this in John 10, 14. I am the good shepherd. What's a shepherd? He tends his sheep. He takes care of his flock. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have, now this, pay attention to verse 16 here. 
I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. He is talking about everybody here today that's not Jewish. He's basically saying that, hey, it's not just the Jesus or God's chosen people of Israel. He's saying, I got more sheep out there, and we're all going to be one flock. We're all going to have one leader, and that's Jesus. So he's telling us the work that he's got to do. The reason my father loves me and that is that I lay down my life only to take it up again. He's basically given us the gospel. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. Right there. Those of you that knows the scripture, what's one of the last things Jesus went up and prayed for the night before he was arrested? God, your will not mine. The human in Jesus, which he was fully human, knew the pain he was getting ready to go experience. His job was coming to an end, and what was his job to do? To go and suffer for us. God, your will, not mine. I don't know if I can do this. And it says right here, he basically is saying, no one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord, meaning I choose to do that. I have the authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. I don't know, sometimes we can gloss over these words, but Jesus came here to do a job. He was commanded by God to do this job. I mean, can you imagine if you put that in a father and son, and I have no concept of what God and Jesus' conversation would look like. But, I mean, can, I, I can't imagine me being a father. All right, son, come on here. I got to talk to you. I'm going to send you down to earth, and I want you to love on people like they've never been loved on before. I want you to treat them like they've never been treated before. I want you to teach everyone down there that they have value, and they're really important. And then I'm going to want you to die for every single one of them. Can you imagine? That's basically what, what Jesus' job was. He came to teach us that there's a different way. He came to teach us that we are all important. He came to teach us that we're all important enough to die for. He changed everything. He loved like no one had ever loved. He spent time with people that society said he's not supposed to spend time with. So John the Baptist, he had a job to do. His job was to prepare the way. And that was kind of to soften our hearts, to help some of those Pharisees of that day and some of the non-believers of that day realize that God was in control. You know, just like sometimes that we do. We ask, what, what is it all for? I mean, why do I get up and go to work every day? Is it really going to make a difference? Why do I interact with people? Why do I serve on this church board? Why do I come out here and pick up sticks on a Saturday when nobody else knows that we're doing it? What, what, what's it all for? Why do we do it? And we see this from John himself. John's in prison. 
In the scripture I'm getting ready to read, John sends his people taking care of him and says, man, go, go ask this guy Jesus. I, I'm starting to doubt. I, I mean, I know I was prepared the way, and I know I'm not worthy to even carry his sandals, but did it really make a difference? I'm in jail now. This is Jesus' response out of Matthew eleven four. Jesus replied, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. And it's just, I'm, I'm going to read that again. I, I just, and, and let's, just, let's just step back for a second. And whatever your imagination of Jesus is, and John's disciples have just come up to him like, hey man, John's struggling. He's in prison. And he's not sure all of the work that he's done if it's even been worth it. And let's listen to what Jesus says again. Go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. In other words, you go back and tell John that the work is being done. The road that he has paved, man, we are still walking down this road. What he did was not for nothing. What he did was for everything and for everyone. You let John know that we are doing good work. If you could work your whole life for an opportunity to make a difference in saving one life, would it be worth it? If you could look back and go, I saved one life. I'm talking about in our everyday life. You know how we, as Christ followers, can do that? We can be a good examples. We can be something that is contagious by how we live, by how we live out through Christ. And that one, like, man, I, I want to know what makes them different. I want to know why you do what you do. Hey, tell me about your God. You see, John was used in a case to pave the way for Jesus, to, to let the people start hearing what the good news is going to be. We have heard the good news. We know what the good news is. And if we in some way are used by God that somebody comes up and says, tell me about your God. Tell me about what this Jesus did. And, and here's what you've got to realize. There's a whole world out there that doesn't believe in God. Or maybe they believe in God and they don't believe in Jesus. That's why we got all the craziness going on in our world. Everything but God. And if one person is affected by how we live and how we interact, then we potentially have participated in saving a life. Is it worth it? I think it is. I think it's worth everything. So to flip it over, Jesus' whole life was dedicated to saving all of our lives. All of humanity. His job was about saving every single one of us, giving us hope when there's no hope. 
given us peace when there's no peace. Mike said it last week. You know, how do people navigate it when they don't have Christ to fall back on? They have nothing. It's a peace that we can't explain. He gave it all so we can live. His life work was to teach us to live better. His life work was to teach us how to interact and love better. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans 5. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we've been brought to Christ through faith. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand, and we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings, because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance, character, and character, hope. Basically, sometimes we're going to be doing work, and it's going to be tough. We're going to get up and just have to put one foot in front of the other, and it's like, God, I don't even know if I can make it into work today. And the Apostle Paul is saying it right here, that, hey, we can find glory in that suffering. We are not alone. And you know what? We might pop into work, we're dragging, and then we see somebody else that needs our help. Say, man, you have a bad day too? Boy, I'm having a bad day. Come here, let's talk. And we just start sharing. And that produces character and perseverance. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you don't know it, it's like I'm talking Greek. I might as well be up here talking another language that none of us know. If, if, if you don't know what the power of that experience is, you don't know it until you know it. That's a good scholarly pastor thing to say, isn't it? You don't know it until you know it, okay? All right, let's go home. But those of you who know what I'm talking about, the power of that Holy Spirit, the power to make sense of what doesn't make sense. Jesus died for us to give us hope. He died to give us a path back to God. So I want to end our time today with somebody who I have kind of grown to love more and study more, who, if I am being completely honest, used to frustrate me and make me feel like the worst Christian ever. And that's James, the half-brother of Jesus. Now, this is not to be confused with James, uh, James the Lesser, James the Great. Uh, both of those were disciples of Jesus. James, his half-brother, was not a disciple. He was his half-brother, born to Mary and Joseph. And see, what makes James so cool is he spent his whole life not believing Jesus was who he was. He spent his whole life thinking he was just his older brother that I'm sure picked on him, and I'm sure they had those brotherly rivalries and all that, it was not until he saw his risen brother that he believed that Jesus was his risen Savior. So I feel like when you read his readings, he is so blunt in his epistle. Renee and I, we, we participated in a Bible study once, and it was six weeks, and I think week four, we had to take a break. 
It was just beating the whole group up. We felt like awful Christians. I mean, every Sunday it was like, man, we are not worth nothing. Because James is so in your face. But as I study more, I'm realizing, I, I feel like James is trying to make sure we don't miss it. That we don't miss all the time that he missed. He had Jesus as his brother. Just think about the conversations that could have happened. There was even one point where he's picking on Jesus. Why don't you go and do your thing and start preaching to the people? Almost like it was a, you know, you do what you do. So we see this from James. James 1 verse 12. Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. So James sets the bar right off the bat. What is all this for? Why do we suffer? Why do we have to go through tests in life? Because we are going to receive the crown of life. Now let's be clear here. What I'm getting ready to say, works does not get you into heaven. Your belief, your trust in Jesus Christ as your Savior and acknowledging Jesus as your Savior and that alone is what gets you into heaven. See, Jesus has already completed all that work. That was what his work was. That's why he died on that cross to give us that pathway. All we have to do is believe and put our faith in him. But basically, James is saying, hey, once you've done that, Man, that comes with a, a nudging. That comes with an obligation. Basically, if we're going to be on this train, we got a ticket to be on the train, but this is a working train. This is a train that we're riding along and we're faithful followers of Jesus that we're expected to do our part. James 2.14, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? I mean, if we put our faith in Jesus and we do nothing with it, I mean, Jesus died for us. Isn't that enough to want to do something for it? Verse 17, in the same way, faith by itself, if it's not accompanied by action, is dead. I mean, he don't even sugarcoat that. Basically, if you're not going to do anything for the kingdom of God, might as well be dead. Just go on to heaven. You're not doing any good around here. Thank you, honey, for smiling. Y'all got to loosen up. But it comes with a thing. It comes with somewhat of a nudging, a requirement. I believe God gives us those nudges to want to do more. I mean, if we're not being good and faithful servants, and that means loving on people, that means interacting with people, that means everybody we come in contact with, all of you have value. James says, if it's not accompanied with our faith, the accent is dead. It's dead. Verse 24, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. Right here, he's connected the dots with what Jesus himself told us. People are going to know who we are by how we live. People are going to know who we are by how we interact with them in life. How we love on them. How we care for them. How we greet them. Everything that we do, how we work, 
It all comes back. And James says a righteous person, meaning that we're living right by what we do, not simply by our faith alone. Somewhere along the way, it, it, it seems there's groups of people that, oh, just put your faith in Jesus and, and, it, and it's all good. And, and it is. But we still have a life to live. We still have a life to navigate. We still have the devil just prowling around this world like, the, like a lion, the scripture says, trying to take our young people out. How we live, how we interact, and how we love is doing the work that Jesus has already taught us to do. Bobby and Holly, if y'all come on up. They will know that we are his. Jesus' life work was to change everything. Turn it upside down. Change how we live and how we interact with people. And then his ultimate was he died for all of us. That was Jesus' life work. So the least we can do is try to honor him for doing good work. You know, people say, well, what if you were actually doing it for Jesus? What if you thought Jesus was your boss? Well, Jesus kind of is my boss. Thank you, Devontae. Finally, somebody laughed at one of my cracks. You, you my man, Devontae. Air fist bump right now. All right, here we go. You know, we go through life, and what if we started talking to God more? God, I don't want to have to do this today. Give me the strength. God, I, I don't want to have to deal with this person today. Give me the strength. Let me be your light in what feels like total darkness. Help me to do my work. So on this Labor Day weekend, and we're talking about choices, we got a choice. We got a choice in everything we do. We can put Jesus in the center of all of it, or we can put him in a box. Everything in society that the devil thinks he runs, he wants it in that box. He wants to take our eyes off everything and help us forget about the amazing work that Jesus has already done for us. Let's make the right choice. Let me pray for us. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you. We thank you for your word that just gives us example after example of the amazing work that you've done. And just like you told John the Baptist, you go back and tell John the Baptist that the work is being done. Help us to continue that work. So if we're ever confronted, you go back and you tell Jesus that we're doing his work because we choose to. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for loving us first. We love you. In Jesus' holy name, we pray all this. Amen.
Let's all stand and sing. Oh, I've heard a thousand stories of what they think you're like, but I've heard the tender whisper of love in the dead of night, and you tell me that you're pleased and that I'm never alone. You're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And I'm loved by you. It's who I am. It's who I am. It's who I am. And I've seen many searching for answers far and wide but i know we're all searching for answers only you provide you know just what we need before we say a word you're a good good father it's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. To who I am, to who I am, to who I am, and you're perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to us. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways. You are perfect in all of your ways to I, I can hardly think as you call me Deeper still as you call me Deeper still as you call me Deeper still into love Love, you're a good, good father it's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, it's who I am. You're a good, good father. It's who you are, it's who you are, it's who you are, and I'm loved by you. It's who I am, it's who I am, 
So here we are on this Labor Day weekend, and just like that song says, God is perfect in all of his ways. Jesus was perfect in all of his ways, and he still came to this crazy earth to show us how to love, show us how to work and interact. Now we got the choice. I hope that you put him in the center of all of it, everything that we do. I hope you have a wonderful week and a wonderful day off tomorrow. Hopefully, hopefully you don't have to work. And in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.